This episode is brought to you by Pepsi Wild Cherry. Pepsi Wild Cherry is bursting with delicious cherry flavor and a sweet, crisp taste that gives you more to go wild for. Getting wild may look different these days, but whether it's opting for a solo Friday binge watch or a big night out, everyone can indulge in their wild side with Pepsi Wild Cherry, also available in Zero Sugar. So grab a Pepsi Wild Cherry and get wild. Thanks for listening to the latest Football Digest podcast available on all podcast platforms. Subscribe now through Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Acast or wherever you get your podcasts from so you don't miss a single episode. Good morning and welcome to the Football Digest weekly podcast. Um, This week it's me, John Cross, as your host and double done, Andy Dunn, my colleague from the Daily Mirror and Daily Express's Matt Dunn. Um, Good morning, guys. Um, Lots to get through and I'm sure everyone will be very pleased to see the resumption of the Premier League. So we'll really get into that kind of what does this weekend bring? Well, it brings a fantastic clash, Man City v um, Liverpool as the top of the table clash. That monster game at, at, um, at Goodison on, on Sunday. What sort of reaction will Everton get after their 10-point deduction? And then also we're going to start with a bit of England fallout, really. Um, so let's get on to that. Matt, Matt, you know, let's start with you because we, we, we sort of kind of saw them complete their qualifying campaign, North Macedonia. Um, that puts England into top seeds. Um, where, where, where do you think we? Where do you think we are, England? England wise, right now, going into it as as favourites with France. What do you think? I think we're up there. Um, I think the last two performances need to be discounted as reasonable drops in a in a busy season. Fair play to um to Southgate for insisting we did push through and finish top seats because when you look at the draw on December the 2nd, it means we could have Albania, Slovenia and Luxembourg, um, whereas if we'd finished in pot two, it could have been France, Holland and Italy. So uh, I can't kind of get a sense now where he was insisting that we did finish the job off. Uh, and having done that, you know, Germany aren't looking particularly strong at the moment and they're ones that you'd fancy as, as hosts to contend with us. And, yeah, I think it is between us and France. What we have found out, though, it is a few things, uh, one of which is that we need Harry Kane to be fit to, uh, to put the ball in the net because for all the excitement that we've got about Bellingham, uh, who was sorely missed in the last two internationals and some of the other exciting players we've got, you know, we do need Kane to put the ball in the net or be at least close enough to the defender to make him put the ball into the net. Uh, and I think that that's you know, a worrying sign that, that we have no backup still there. Um, so, yeah, wrapping me. Cotton Wool, get the, get the Germans to stop kicking him in the Bundesliga from about April onwards uh, and trust the fate, I think. Andy, I, I looked at what did I take away from the two games and um, I think we even discussed it on the Friday night when we were together at the Malta game. What are the two positions, what are the positions that are up for grabs, not in the squad, but basically in the team? Because I reckon Gareth Southgate's in a pretty luxurious position. I know what my two positions are, basically, you know, but where, where do you think positions in the starting eleven for Germany next summer are? Quite simple. I think um, let's assume everyone's fit, which obviously is a, is a major assumption, but let's assume everyone's fit and, and then we, we know pretty much what, we know what the back five is going to be, Pickford and Goal, um, Walker, Stones, Maguire, Luke Shaw, if he's fit. Um, and then obviously Rice and Bellingham are, are shoe-ins for midfield. It's, so up for grabs is the 
the third midfield position, whether you play a, um, another holder, um, if Calvin Phillips moves in January and gets regular game time in the Premier League, I, I, it'll probably be him, um, knowing Southgate's caution. And then I'm thinking Saka and Kane, and then it's it's who plays then um, makes up the, the the front three. Whether it be the options clearly are are quite simple: Foden, Grealish, or Rashford. So I think they're the two. I think I think you know we've got uh, so so there. I'm naming nine players. I'm naming Pickford, Walker, Stones, Maguire, Shaw, Rice, Bellingham, Kane, and Saka, and then two more. I mean, at the moment, um, I think about. I think I think that. That third midfield position is the interesting one. I think what we would all, well, fans of England would like to see is Alexander-Arnold making up that three. I personally would like to see Rice, Bellingham and Alexander-Arnold. Clearly, that would be defensively not as maybe solid as if you played either Calvin Phillips or, which I think would be an absolute no-no, Jordan Henderson there. And then, uh, on form at the moment, Saka and Kane, and then on form, I personally would go with Foden. Um, and again, I think, John, we discussed this on there Friday nights at Wembley. Would Foden start on Foden, Kane and Grealish? If, sorry, Foden, Kane and Saka. Grealish and Rashford um, have shown in the past they can make a big impact from the bench. So if everyone's fit, I think that's it. Listen, I don't think it's a particularly good thing that we know that Southgate knows his team already. You, you know, now... It could be perceived as well. He's, he, I mean, you said he's in a luxurious position. On the other hand, his, is that a reflection of intransigence that is going to cost us? In the sense that, for example, when everyone's fit at Man United, does Maguire get in that team? Calvin Phillips certainly is not going to play if he stays in Man City. And obviously, he's sticking with Henderson in the squad as well, which is, I mean, frankly, I mean, frankly, ludicrous as far as I'm concerned, you know, it, for, for the guy who's playing in such a a low standard league out there compared to um, the top European leagues. So is that intransigence that what we what what people like to call loyalty is actually just stubbornness to Mike Cost England? I think it might. Um, and just going back on onto what, what yourself and Matt were talking about then, the overall picture. Yes, you know, England should be one of the nations that can contend. But this idea that we can somehow be on a par in terms of, you know, I hate to frame everything um within bookmakers' odds. But this idea that we're somehow favourites or even joint favourites with France is ludicrous. I mean, absolutely ludicrous. France you know, I mean, France should be favourites by a long chalk. You know, France beats England uh, at the World Cup. And no matter what people say, beat them and deserve to beat them in that, in that game with a better team. We're probably the best team in the World Cup, but we're, we're, we're undone in an unbelievably um, close final. Um, have kicked on from there. Have a squad that is, you know, we turn, I keep hearing this thing on the, on radio. Oh, England have got the best squad man for one in, in the world. It's absolute nonsense. I mean, nonsense. France have got an embarrassment of riches. riches. So, um, yes, I think I think we've got a chance. Um, but no, do I think it's a favourite chance? No, I don't. Yeah, no, it's interesting. Interesting. Um, Matt, if I move it on to the squad, last two tournaments, for different reasons, we've had squads of 26. Now, I think basically this week, the inevitable call comes that basically qualified, name your 23. Who of the big players, because if you take it, you've got three goalkeepers, you then have to decide as manager how many defenders, how many midfielders, how many forwards you have. Who of the big names are are at risk? So I couldn't squeeze in my squad. Um 
Well, I couldn't get Phillips in, no, because, it, you know, I got Alexander-Arnold, a bit like Andy. I do feel as if, like, you know, you've got to make that decision. Also, I, I trimmed a left-back simply because then I've got Levi Colwell, so I've got Luke Shaw, so Ben Colwell might go. Sterling, you know, is clearly... Sterling, it feels like he's on the outside now. And then, basically, personally, I think he's a big-game player, and, you know, I, I would have him in. But, basically, it, it, you know... Southgate doesn't see him as part as part of the party now. You've got a problem, but you cannot. I don't think you know. You're not going to basically your wide players. It's sort of almost your supplementary forwards. So I I would have Ivan Tony in as his backup striker. That means no Callum Wilson, and then basically also think you know you'd have Saka and Foden as my first joined wide players, and then you'd have to have Grealish and um, Rashford as you know as the other players. Well, everyone else. Whether that's Jared Bowen, that you know, who's obviously been in excellent form. You know, it depends on where you where you class Madison. You know, and Cole Palmer, for example. You know, you're going to inevitably get some some big names. So, so who's going to miss out in your you know in your big name casualty list? Do you think from the squad? First thing, can I just say one of the other takeaways I thought from the last internationals was that we don't necessarily have to. Just picking up on Andy's point quickly, um, we don't necessarily need Maguire and Stones as our back two. I thought Gahey showed he's ready to sit alongside Stones as the best, as the, our first choice pairing. And I think Southgate's got, if Southgate can't pick a young Crystal Palace centre back to go and, you know, make a Euros debut, then then who can? So that that's the only first 11 sort of query I would, I would throw in there. I thought. John, you know what, our history, um, if there's 19 names that we both agree on, then the chances are they're shoe-ins because we never agree on anything. Uh, and that's how many we've got the same. So it shows how the uh, the basics are there. Um, so and, and that includes James Madison, who made the cut for both of us because, uh, yeah, we were both asked the day after the North Macedonia game today, about 23. Um, the, the, the areas we disagree... Um, I went for Tamori, you went for Dunk, and I'm happy to be wrong on that. You are wrong, yeah. Barmy, I've left him speechless. You have, you've done founded him, you've done founded him. But I think what Matt's saying is that I agree. Normally, you know, we are literally talking one or two players who will miss out. Personally, I think, I've just said before, I think Henderson, for example, should be one that we don't take on the back of a season in Saudi. Uh, again, if Calvin Phillips is playing no football, you know I don't see how you can take him if he plays no football. I think I think he has to play. He has to say in January, I've got to play. I've got to try and get a move, even if it's alone, and um, play football. Um, and then other big names to miss out. I don't know. I mean, it's funny, isn't it, John? That, that he has Southgate. You know, I say you admire his loyalty to one extent, but once you've lost that, or once you appear to have lost that loyalty. It's quite hard to get it back. I mean, it's really hard to get it back. So, for example, you know, I mean, clearly he, you know, Sterling was a go-to player for Gareth. You know, through through, through those first two tournaments, he was the absolute go-to player. He was one of the what you would call the core players. First name on the sheet. There was McQuire, There was Sterling. There was Kane. And and now he's gone. It, 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 it's like so hard for him to get that back. And I think the same applies to someone like James Ward-Prowse, for example, like, you know, who, who, who to me would tick so many boxes as a, as a, as a squad member, as a tourist, you know, it, I mean, you can imagine, you know, he'd be invaluable in training. I think he's, you know, he's a good team player. Um, and clearly, it's, so 
but it seems like it's quite hard for Ward Prowse to get that faith back, doesn't it? You know what I mean? Which he had in him at once. So it'll be interesting. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Listen, we've spoken far too much about England. I'm sure everyone wants to move on. The big story of last week and still of this week, Everton, 10-point deduction. Andy, you've written brilliantly on it. Um, this weekend is, you, you know, is going to be feisty, isn't it? I mean, you know, I mean, it, it, I, I really want to kind of almost focus on on, on, on this weekend. We're, of course, we'll take in a bit of, you know, what you think about the 10 points. You know, wow, that's that set some new barrier. But I do what, do you, what do you think will be the reaction th- th- this week? I've just got a couple of points to make on it. Got, you know, fascinating, fascinating stories about maybe Sky turning down the volume of the, of the anti-Premier League noise, which I just thought was a brilliant, brilliant story, let's be honest here. And then basically, you know, I, I think we're wasting our time to sort of say to Everton fans, you know, it was an independent regulatory body, don't you? It wasn't the Premier League. But, you know, so, you know, I think we, we, we've lost that battle before we start it. But I tell you what, I do, you know, I do think it stirs it up. It reminds me of Man City fans, you know, sort of kind of booing the Champions League anthem, doesn't it, really? I do think this, you know, Sunday is going to be a fascinating game, isn't it? It is. I mean, one thing I would quickly point out on that is that, yes, you've lost the battle that it's an independent commission of the Premier League. I am joking. But, and also, to be fair, you know, I mean, and the reason for that is, is obviously the Premier League appoint the independent commission, which which then, you know, if it wasn't, if there was an independent regulator, that's the broader picture. But, yeah, you're, you're correct. It will be, you know, listen, they've got a real cause now, you know, and and, and going around the city, um, as I have done, and, in fact, I'm, I'm going, um, hopefully I'm going to pop down and see the new stadium um, tomorrow at Bramley Moor Dock. And you get the feeling. I mean, clearly, there's a real cause now. There's a real feeling of, of. I mean, it, it's not. And, and you bear in mind, Everton is a massive club. I know, and one of the biggest historical clubs. Yet they feel as though they're being made an example of. I don't think anyone is going to argue, even you no know, staunch Evertonian, that they didn't break the rules because clearly they did, and they admitted it. And a punishment was coming. And even the realists, the realists probably think, you know, well. We might have got three points. We might have got maybe six and three suspended. It's the severity, clearly, of the um, um, the severity of the um, punishment that really, really hurts them. And now they've got a cause. So now what they see is not just Everton saying that you know they've been um, unfairly treated by the Premier League. It's also Everton it, the perception the Premier League, um, as I've written many times, the Premier League. Will, will favours the big six, the big six drivers in terms of TV revenue, commercial revenue. It's them against us now. It's it, it's grand old Everton against you know the, the, these the, this big six and Premier League who are who are um, unfairly treating them. And it will be it will be it will be a fantastic atmosphere. It'll be an angry atmosphere at Goodison Park on on, on Sunday afternoon. Um, 
And do I think it'll lift the players? Listen, they're professionals. Manchester United are professionals. They shouldn't be intimidated by by any atmosphere. But do I think it'll lift Everton? I really do. I really do. We've all been at Goodison when the crowd has has given the team an extra half yard, an extra lift, an extra an extra bit of strength. And I think that'll certainly be the case on Sunday. Particularly as now, you know, the 10 points hasn't mortally wounded Everton in terms of we know that obviously there are three teams at the bottom there who will not be getting that many points this season. But it's given them now, uh, uh, you know, to, to to stay up now would be some achievements. And that gives them a great a great purpose now. And, and, and I genuinely think it will be absolutely fine on Sunday. Because I must say, the, the, the anger, Andy, is, you know, is tangible, isn't it? I mean, really, really powerful. And then that can be a powerful um, motivating factor. Welcome back, Matt. I'll, I'll come to you in just a sec when Andy makes this point. But, but you know, I, I mean, blimey, I, 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 made a, I made a bit of a what I thought was a humorous comment about sort of Jordan Pickford feeling it was so cold at Wembley because he had so little to do. It felt like minus 10. Can't imagine what Wag would have told me that, but um, but then basically uh, would have given me that joke. But um, but you know, Everton fans are sort of self-depreciating. I think they're basically, you know, they sort of kind of almost laugh at themselves in the situation, or they're basically, you know, incredibly angry. I do feel as if I don't know whether you agree with this point in that basically, it's that, it's that mix, you know, that actually makes a lot of neutrals away from the big six, think we're behind Everton. And that's why I think a lot of people feel as if that 10 points is harsh. You know, that 10 points is really harsh and basically have a lot of sympathy for Everton, albeit they've broken the rules and they've admitted breaking the rules. But basically, you you know, that's why I think Everton within the football world, within the football community have had so much support and so much you know, power and strength. And that's why I think they probably feel a bit emboldened on Sunday. They do. But you, you know what? I, I agree with all of that. But, but, you know, don't forget, though, there is, when you strip that away, there's big pressure on Everton now. Big, big pressure. You know, I, I, I mentioned before that, that I'm hoping to pop down and have a look around in Bramley Moor Dogs tomorrow. Um, and bear in mind then that they don't want to be moving into that stadium at the start of the... It looks certainly to be the 25-26 season, not in the Premier League. You know, and as much as people say, well, you know, if there was ever a time to be deducted 10 points, this is the time when you do have three promoted teams who clearly are finding it extremely difficult to adjust to life in the Premier League. Even though you may say that, they are still down there and it's still now a massive battle for them to stay in the Premier League. And the pressure's on them because the pressure is, 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 is to take Premier League football to a state-of-the-art arena, ironically, one which happens to have played its role in getting them the 10 points deducted. And I think that's some, somewhere the sympathy comes. It's a, the technicality of interest payments, etc. And going back to sympathy, yes, I do think the wider football community has some sympathy. On the other hand, there's not much sympathy from Leeds, Leicester and Burnley, is there, you know, and Southampton. I do feel as if um, we're in a situation now where it's obvious that uh, Chelsea and Manchester City are awaiting, you know, the outcomes 
of their particular cases. How nervous do you think the last week or so has made has made those football clubs feel? Bearing in mind, ten points to a lot of people seems a seems a big punishment, and it feels like the Premier League have set a new standard, if you like. That's exactly what they've done. Um, yeah, and uh, hallelujah for that. It's about time we had sanctions that meant something. I remember QPR ignoring financial fair play rules to get promoted to the Premier League, doubled the wage bill uh, against turnover, uh, and in the end got fined £42 million, which was you know just a fraction of what they earned from their seats in the Premier League uh, and the parachute payments. It was, you know... People are making these calculated gambles. Uh, and then Everton have done some fancy footwork with the accountancy uh, and everything else. But the fact is, uh, the you know, and the stadium they committed to pay for, they shouldn't have signed certain players to push them over budget. Whoever you want to pick that they shouldn't have signed, perhaps someone like Amadou Anana. He may be worth 10 points a season. He may not be, but there's got to be an element of punishment in there. And that's what's gone into this whole equation for the first time, a genuine sense of punishment. And Manchester City and Chelsea must be quaking in their boots because any team now that's found guilty of any of these offences are going to be properly punished. That's the message that was sent out, uh, a, a long overdue message. So, so yeah, if they are... And if, Again, they've got to be found guilty, and it's very different charges that each of them face. But there needs to be appropriate sporting sanctions to nip this stuff in the bud, because that's the only thing that will actually hit home. Otherwise, it's a calculated accountancy gamble. You think, well, if we cheat here, we'll only be fined that amount, and we can afford that. Uh, and and it's just a nonsense. So, yeah, they, they, they have every right. If they've done any wrong uh, and thought that they would get away with it, I think the message that's come through is that no you won't mm, yeah no it, it, it is an interesting interesting one really do you do what, what do you think andy do you think that is you know it, it we've reached a point where the premier league are laying down a marker for for you know for future punishments with this everton thing is that is that the point yeah that's part of it you, you know i agree with everything matt says you know and, and i don't think listen i don't think everton were you know everton were expecting punishments and and they, and they were probably expecting a, a quick deduction. It's just the severity of the punishment that that that, that seems particularly harsh. Everton arguing at ten points is a little bit draconian for you know a a, a nineteen million pound overspend over a period of three years. You know I don't particularly think their mitigating circumstances were overly convincing and clearly needed the the, the, the independent commission. And I do I think it does put down a mark. I mean clearly it, it, you know they couldn't set a precedent of being lenient on Everton and then turn around and be and punish clubs in the future harshly. Now, of course, I mean, you know, it's important to remember, you know, in all these discussions that, you know, Manchester City, whatever you think, have not been found guilty of anything yet. You know, they are still charges on the table and they've not been found guilty of their charges, which Manchester City are vigorously contending. And Dan Chelsea haven't even got that far yet, really. Um, it's just in the invest- investigation stage. Well, yeah, I, th- I think it does, and, and, and plenty of people have written it, and they're quite right. Manchester City and Chelsea would be looking at this and thinking, if we get found guilty, what I would say is that Manchester City in particular, and Chelsea, no doubt, will bring a, a legal um, challenge to it that will be, I suspect, far more formidable than Everton's. You know, Everton, let's face it, Everton went down the um, route of cooperation in the sense that they thought, well, you know, if we cooperate, the more we cooperate, the more open we are. Um, 
the more we cough up to this, then maybe the, the more um, leaning the punishment will be. That didn't prove to be the case. So I think City and Chelsea's, if it gets to that stage with Chelsea, their legal challenges to any Premier League um, punishment will be far more formidable than Everton. Don't forget Everton are appealing. Um, and where will these things end? I'm not being free, where will the City charges end? I mean, I mean we've got nowhere... I mean, you know, it, 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 it's it's how long since they were actually brought and we've had no development whatsoever, you know, absolutely none whatsoever on it, you know, and, and who knows? I mean, what is our best guess of when those City charges will be resolved? I'll tell you what, if it's before the end of the season, I will be astonished. Yeah, well, I, I, I'm sure I'm sure everyone else will, frankly, you know, it'd be interesting. I do think that, you know, I think there's talk, isn't there, about Chelsea sort of maybe sort of trying to push it, you know, Imminently, but I mean, let's see. I mean, Chelsea have taken a similar route in a way. And obviously the main plank of their argument will be it was not on our watch. It was on a completely different watch of a completely different regime under an owner who is now gone. Um, Okay, let's get it done. You know, let's get it done. In fact, Chelsea's argument might well be that they've actually alerted the Premier League to alleged financial irregularities under the previous regime. But still, the precedent that's now set is that it doesn't matter. You know, it, it, historical crime, in inverse commas, in, in football, can now be punished, unlike, of course, UEFA, who have, I think, it's a five-year um, go-back, don't they, I think? Yeah, yeah, no, 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 it is interesting. Matt, I just want to touch on, we were touching on the... Um... This, the story about sort of kind of them sort of kind of sky potentially turning down the the, the crowd noise, <laughs> you know. I mean, it, you know, they, they they did tweak the crowd noise basically um, during lockdown, didn't they? During the sort of kind of COVID era, and basically either to turn volleyball. You, do you remember you could watch with or without crowd noise? It was quite amusing at first, and um, basically, which was a cracking story. But you know, I, I mean, the point is. The reaction, isn't it, on, on on Sunday? I guess I guess the viewer at home doesn't want to be completely peppered with with uh, too too much uh, sort of swearing all afternoon, do they? Isn't that the point? It's kind of balance. What I wish is that Sky didn't keep turning down my broadband. That's been my major bone of contention this morning. Um, yeah, I mean they've got to make a judgment. I mean it's an entertainment industry. Uh, yeah. You'd like to hear all the raw noise, and you know some people did prefer that in COVID. Some didn't. Some wanted it in there. Some didn't. Um, they do what they do. I have to say they're the experts in putting on television, televised football, uh, and I'm sure they're making the decisions for the benefit of most people. Uh, and, and if it is a contentious one, then they'll probably do it with uh, with the various options. So, you know, uh, yeah, we all like it, uh, to get the crowd reaction um but yeah sometimes it's inappropriate some yeah and there's reasons for it but yeah i don't think it's a big deal to be honest it's uh it's tampering with football again but but yeah it's not their worst crime and and i know it, sorry, sorry just briefly on that i know it's not a big deal um and i know you know we're you know football watchers are generally not not overly sensitive to that sort of stuff however i do believe it will be quite it, it, it will be quite no, I'm not saying nasty because they're not going to get nasty, but it will be quite vociferous and it will be quite colourful, the anti-Premier League protest. I, I can tell you that absolutely right now. And, of course, Everton as a club, while they will always ensure that their fans or try and ensure that their fans behave um, behave properly, behave well, and they are well-behaved fans, you know, they feel aggrieved as well. 
And I do think it will be around the stadium. And I do think the type of chance that, that I've heard um, um, at various places, I mean, Wolverhampton Wonders, for example, um, um, and they've been on the wrong end of some decisions, and they suggest that um, the Premier League are involved. That's we you're gonna get that all afternoon. I mean, you will get that all afternoon, you know. And I think I think they will have a decision to make the TV companies because it will be it will be made known certain terms, you know, what the feeling is about the Premier League. Yeah, it is interesting because I think Ofcom regulations and rules come into it, don't they? You basically you can't, you know, you you effectively are bound by um by things. I mean, you, you know, I mean, I do actually think this guy do a brilliant job in in in, in, in their coverage and basically that's the thing you know it's it's they they, they get the temperature right basically and it, it you know i think the the point that we noticed in in covid times at least i did was that basically football is nothing without the fans and the crowd and it was so anesthetized and basically so you know um quiet and sad without the fans and i basically you know, you've got to strike the right balance here and basically make sure because the, the, the point about Sunday is the, the Everton fan reaction, isn't it? That 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 is the point, you know, that's the important thing to keep. Andy, I hope you don't mind. I'm gonna go back to back with you. Simply because I do want to touch on, and I feel sure, bearing in mind your your strength of feeling on on loans, just about the Premier League, you know, ruling this week. You know, sort of basically, you can loan players from Saudi Arabia. Even you know, obviously that affects potentially associated clubs, i.e., Newcastle, for, for example. You know, what's your what's your view on that? I know you don't like loans between Premier League clubs, do you? No, I actually don't like it between Premier League clubs. Never mind between clubs who are owned by the or have a, are owned by the same um, who, who have the same ownership or who have ties with um, the ownership of the other clubs. So no, or clubs that are associated. No, I don't like it. I think it stinks. I mean, it, it just it's just one more plank into this, you know, um, this multi-club arrangement. And again, I don't forget it also means like the those clubs can. Going into the complicated issue of financial fair play, you know, say for example, um, and I, I, I don't particularly think this is going to happen, but say for example, Newcastle did um, take someone like Ruben Neves on loan, then clearly that's that that that's a great sort of um, a great asset to have with no outlay and nothing against your uh, profit and sustainability rules. So I think that that opens up that whole. Um, can of worms. I do think also that you know the idea on a, on a rule as important as this, how can um, only eight teams vote for it and it can still go through? You know, I, I mean, I, th- I think that two thirds rule is nonsense. You know, how a rule so fundamentally important can can twelve teams be against it? Yet those twelve teams don't lose the vote. Um, I, I don't think that's right. But then again, that is just because, as we know, it's, I mean, it's fantastic, the Premier League, unbelievable product, but, you know, it is essentially a private members club. You know, the, the basically, you know, 20 private members who, who vote for it. I mean, Sheffield United have got, you know, have a vote, um, and the chances are they'll be in this year and they'll be out the next. You know, I, I, it just doesn't, unfortunately, because I'm not, 
an absolute disciple of the idea. Unfortunately, it just adds further grist to the mill, to the argument of an independent regulator. And yeah, I think one of the reasons why they pushed Everton so hard is they were trying to say, listen, we can regulate ourselves. Now, with a vote like this, it shows, well, actually, you know what? You can't really. Can you really regulate yourself when you're allowing yourself to borrow players from clubs that are owned by you anyway? I don't think. I, I think that's a big blow in the arguments against an independent regulator. Yeah, it is ludicrous. I mean, I must say, you know, there's been sort of kind of stories around, haven't they, that basically sort of kind of Jim Ratcliffe, because of his ownership of, uh, uh, you know, an interest in Nice, you know, Man United wouldn't be allowed to play in the Champions League. Well, I, I, you know, from everything UEFA have said in the last, uh, say, uh, uh, eight, nine months, Matt, I, I'm not sure that's actually the case. Saffron was pretty clear in, in March that basically... You know those rules are being looked at, and and you know if Brighton can play um, w- w- in the same competition as a team, you know also um, you know from Belgium as Tony Bloom, it's it's really not that straightforward. You know it's a bit sweeping, so I'm not completely convinced that that's going to be the case, especially when they t- refer to decisive ownership, i.e., controlling stake. Um, but I do I do feel, don't you think that basically football is just in this weird place now? you know, kind of people in fingers in too many pies, basically, is the general point, I guess. There, there is that. Um, the crucial thing with the Premier League, and it comes back to the need for an independent regulator now, for so long they smugly told us that there was, there's always been this contrasted interest between the big six and the rest of the, of the Premier League. Well, now that's a big seven with Newcastle, you know, throwing the money in as well. And that's crucial because what that does is it means that the small clubs are no longer the two-thirds majority. They can't um, outvote um, any... uh, They can't embargo, they can't make put through any legislation to rein in the big clubs. So if the big clubs, you know, want to take advantage of a loophole and the small clubs want to close it, if the seven stick together... They can't, you know, they can't lose any votes. And it, you talk about it being a, a gentleman's club. That's the issue. They were, whether it was by accident or design, there was this brilliant balance where there were just enough small clubs to keep the big clubs in check. That's no longer the case. And that's going to be mean football running away with itself. And all these big votes, that's, that's what this is a symptom of. It's a symptom of the fact that there's now too many big clubs who see themselves as big clubs and they want to take advantage of the same loan rules of the, that they voted for to, you know, to keep in place eventually down the line. And that's why now it's absolutely essential that an independent regulator comes in and sorts it out for the good of the whole game because it is just going to become a greedy animal that devours itself uh, and it serves the, the stronger clubs. Uh, and now the weaker clubs don't have the voice that they used to have just by the small numerical uh, factor of the fact that, that their power has been just eroded by by one club suddenly seeing themselves as one of the big boys. And, you know, it's this is a top of a slippery slope. All these votes will start to be going against us. There'll be all sorts of attempts. Anyway, I, I'd come back to Foster Coglu after that most weird game at Stanford, uh, White Hart Lane earlier the season uh, against Chelsea with everything going on. And he said, oh, shouldn't we all get the managers involved? He said, no, because if you get managers in a room, all they'll do is spend the whole time looking for loopholes around it. Well, the same is true of chairman and chief executives. 
football is full of self-interest. The, the big clubs will look at ways they can exploit the fact that Newcastle will be on board now and they will try to find ways to, to bend the whole of football uh, in to suit them, to suit them financially, to suit them competitively. Uh, and the sooner we get an independent regulator in, the better now. I, and I think that last vote was the final straw. We're back to the domestic programme, Andy, on Saturday, kicking off with Man City, Liverpool. I'll tell you what, the 12.30 Saturday, <laughs> you know, I'm not sure how often that delivers as kind of, you know, I'll tell you what, it was a fabulous sort of finish to the to the Wolves-Tottenham game, so maybe I'm putting down my own argument here. But a monster game, which this certainly is, does that work on the 12.30 Saturday? And then basically, have we got an issue with so many players, particularly, I guess, you know, sort of kind of uh, Liverpool players coming back from South American qualifiers at various points of the, of, of the week? Yeah, I mean, it's funny. I don't know what these stats say. And, you know, off the top of my head, what what would I say about have there been any high-quality, exciting 12.30 games? You know, my instinct... Is to say, well, no, I've been to so many 12-30 games that that basically haven't haven't taken off. That they have felt as though it's too early. Um, and in this case, of course, this is as I'm sure um, Klopp will point out in his press conference, whether it be today or tomorrow, um, not an unusual situation for Liverpool. They 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 tend to have the 12-30 slot after every international break. I think on this occasion it doesn't really matter because you know they're playing Man City and, and they're in the same boat. They've had players away everywhere. Liverpool, as you say. I've had players away in South America. Um, what I would say is, is on the flip side of that, they're coming back, you know, full of confidence. Darwin Nunes is coming back full of confidence. Lewis Diaz is coming back, must be on absolute cloud nine for a whole host of reasons. You know, it's been a fantastic couple of weeks for him um, on, on, on every level. Superb. He's playing superb. Nunes is. So I think those South American players coming back for Liverpool will be will will be flying, but you can't underestimate. You know, they, they, they're getting back probably today, or maybe maybe late last night. Um, they really haven't got much time. They're not going to be able to train, are they? They've just got to rest and recuperate, get over the flight, and then get going again for um, essentially Saturday morning. You know, when when they have to get up and play that game. So I, I think that that will be. I, I do think Liverpool's players being individually haven't had good international breaks um, will be beneficial. I think in terms of City, I do see additions to their injury worries. You, you know, I, I don't know what's the situation with Rodri, but um, um, the, the suggestions he might have um, an issue. And they already had a few niggling issues. And of course, they're missing John Stones. Um, still missing Kevin De Bruyne. Um, I think this game, I think this is a really good chance for Liverpool to go there um, and get a result at the City. I really do. I mean, City's home record is just phenomenal. I think if they win on um, Saturday, I think they equal the record, equal or break, I think it's equal the record for the longest winning run at home across all competitions. And I'm talking now, you know, all of football, not just since 1992. I think Sunderland set the record in, I think it was the 1890s. Um, and City will, will match that if they win. Um, however, I do think they're vulnerable at the moment. I do think they're vulnerable. And I think at the moment, if there's one team that could probably, one attack, more to the point, one attack, that could expose the defence that 
conceded four last time out, then it's Liverpool's. You know, I do think Liverpool have that those attacking options. Essentially, three from five brilliant attackers that can expose that on Saturday. I think it's a really, really tough game for Manchester City. I really do. Yeah, no, it will be. It will be fascinating. Is it a chance, Matt? Just building on that, that Liverpool, for Liverpool to send a statement. I think it has to be. Um, you know, if they have any real pretensions to challenge City, then then they've got to win this one or at least come close. Um, you know, show Man City that they are in for the fight again like they were in those years when they both chased each other down to the wire. Um, yeah, if they lose this one and if they lose comfortably even, then th- that's a massive blow in their, in their hopes to, to keep onto their coattails because for as much as City have wobbled at the start of the season, we all said, oh, it's wide open. Yeah. They seem to be emerging as quite strong title contenders all of a sudden again. And, and unless teams like Liverpool and Arsenal continually keep them in check, then they'll, they'll just get enough points and get over the line again. So, no, it's, it's, a, it's a bigger game for Liverpool, I think, than it is for City. Ooh, wow. Interesting, interesting take on that. But, um, uh, 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 Andy, Newcastle-Chelsea also seems quite a big one. Uh, I know how much you love and admire and respect Maurizio Pochettino, Andy. Have, have, have Chelsea turned a... Um, as they turned a, 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 a corner under the perennial southern media darling, I do admire him. I'm just not as slavishly devoted to him as um, as, as as my colleagues um, who are based in, in the south. Um, listen, as he turned the corner, well, on the basis of that, it couldn't really have got much much worse after the start of the season. Then I guess he has to a certain extent. Do I think the four all? They deserve the um, the points against City. Probably did, but they were also a little bit fortunate in that when I think City went three two, I think they had a period of fifteen minutes where normally in normal life City would have put a team to bed then, you know, and gone on and won a four five would have scored in that fifteen minute period after when they had about three or four half chances when they should have played the wrong ball perhaps or should have scored. So I think in a way Chelsea deserved the points, but then were a little bit lucky to get away with it. Um, do I think they've turned the corner? I think I think the signing of Cole Palmer will make a difference. It'll give them that creative stability in the centre of midfield, I think, if Pochettino um, really does trust him. Sterling's re-emergence, you know, he clearly likes playing with Palmer and, you know, he'll be a threat. There's a long way to go. You know, there's an awful long way to go. However, yeah, and again, I think they go to Newcastle at the right time. Again, Newcastle is struggling with injuries and don't seem to have that the confidence, you know, they they drained, they 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 almost look drained at this stage of the season, which is, you know, I know they've had a Champions League, a tough Champions League group, but even so, we're not even at the end of November yet, and they look as though I wouldn't say they've hit a wall, but they look as though they really are now um, struggling for any momentum, and they've got obviously big European games coming up um, um, in the near future as well. So a good good chance for Chelsea themselves to put down some sort of market. Um, and yes, they're improving, but I think that's all you can say, really. That they're not. I don't think they're close to being making some sort of dramatic surge up into the in, into the you know top three contenders. But Brentford, Arsenal, Matt, and then also I did, you know sort of is a big test for Arsenal, isn't it? Simply because you know I think Brentford are, are back into Thomas Frank form now, and basically it'd be much more intimidating, a tougher opponent, but also Tottenham Villa. You know, wrap wrap those two up for us, please. Really big games for for, for all teams. 
biggest game for of all for Aaron Ramsdale, of course, because David Reyes can't play because of the loan agreement rule. Um, he's he's still on loan till the end of the season, uh, pending a thirty million move, so he's ineligible. So this is Ramsdale's big chance in the Premier League to stake a claim for a shirt, which he has no chance of winning because Arteta has made it absolutely clear that he's going to stick with Raya for the rest of the season for all he's talked about substitutions in games and whatever else. Um, but Ramsdale, if, if, if he doesn't say anything afterwards, I'm sure his dad will. Um, so it's a big game for him at least. Um, and Spurs Villa, Spurs need to sort of steady themselves and say, well, are you serious about being a top four side? Are you serious about, you know, staying in the hunt for for the title, whether or not you can last a distance or not. Um, you know, they've had a couple of results go against them recently. First real test of, of whether Postecoglou can build the momentum again uh, and do a, a, you know, make a remarkable difference. A club that should be missing Harry Kane more. So, uh, uh, and at the same time, Villa have had a bit of a wobble recently, seem to have come a little bit off the ball. So both of those clubs will want to hit the floor running again after the international break and, and run into Christmas, effectively defining what, what they're likely to achieve this season. Very interesting weekend, actually. It's good to have domestic football back. Um, I uh, You won't find me, me, me you know, bemoaning international breaks, um, but uh, but there you go, because uh, I absolutely love watching and covering England, but, um, but it is good to have the Premier League back and it's good to see the gang back. So uh, nice to see you guys. See you same time, same place next week. <laughs>